Okay, well, it's with great pleasure that I will introduce um, Sarana Toma, um, who is a research officer at the IMI, and she's working on the drivers and dynamics of high skilled migration project. And she joined IMI last year, having completed her DPhil in sociology at Nuffield College. She was hosted by the Institut National d'Etudes Démographiques, or INED, in Paris, where she was involved in the FP7-funded Migration Between Africa and Europe, or MAFE, She'll project. be presenting in today's presentation entitled Ties That Bind, Networks and Gender in International Migration, the case of Senegal, for about half an hour or so, and then we'll have time mm. for questions um, and comments. Thank okay. you. Yeah. Hello everyone. Um, so um, for this presentation I selected some findings from my thesis, which as Olivia mentioned I, I defended recently and it's in sociology. Uh, and although the thesis is done, I'm now working on publishing some papers, so all comments and uh, suggestions are most welcome. Um, and basically during this presentation I'll try to answer or bring some answers to these overarching questions, let's say. So, um, first of all, in my thesis, I adopted a longitudinal perspective and investigated the role of networks in international mobility process. And I looked at both the likelihood to migrate and what happens to migrants once they reach their destination, so especially in terms of their labor market outcomes. Here, I will mostly discuss the, the former aspect, so the likelihood, the role of networks in the likelihood of migration. And Furthermore, I'll concentrate on a particular aspect, which is the way gender constructs are shaping these, the role of networks. However, as by, like gender constructs are highly contextual by definition, so all examination of, these, of intersections between gender and the role of networks should be situated in a specific context. And in my thesis, I use data on Senegalese migration flows, mostly to Europe. So in order to understand the role of uh, ties uh, in, in the context of migration, um, I will have to make a brief detour in um, the Senegalese context uh, with respect to the international migration flows, with respect to gender relations. Um, so uh, as, as I do that, I will try to address two claims which have not really been substantiated by data. First of all, that there's some feminization of Senegalese migration flows that we are observing, and second, that we are also, no we are also noticing an emergence of more autonomous forms of female migration. Um, so um, just to give some theoretical background of, of my to my talk, um, there's been like it's kind of a truism in migration literature that networks are highly influential in the mobility process. And by networks, um, the current definition put forward by Macy and his colleagues is that networks are this set of ties which connect migrants, non-migrants, and return migrants through kinship, friendship, or common origin. And um, they've, uh, the underlying hypothesis of most of the research is that networks are always instrumental in the migration process, that they reduce the costs and risks of migration by, for example, providing information uh, pro uh, on crossing the border or financing the trip, and that they increase the benefits of um, migration at destination. For example, it is assumed that networks, like net, uh, immigrants, pool their resources um, to help newcomers find a job. 
Um, however, such an assumption has been increasingly challenged on both theoretical and empirical grounds. So back in the 1994, Anita Böker, for example, showed that uh, with respect to Turkish migration to Germany, that uh, prior migrants are not necessarily bridgeheads and help newcomers settle in the German society, but can also be gatekeepers and try to keep away new migrants from Turkey. Um, Gottfried Engberson or Michael Collier have also showed that, uh, have also argued that with increased policy restrictions of going into Europe, there is an increase in illegal migration, which means that newcomers are more likely to be a burden on uh, prior migrants. So, hence, they are less likely to be able to reciprocate the aid that they receive, which makes prior migrants less likely to extend that help in the first place. Um, in terms of, there's been less theoretical analysis of possible negative effects or lack of effects of migrant networks, but Alejandro Portes has been among uh, the most uh, well known to have theorized such effects, and I will not go into that because um, it's yeah, not the purpose of this talk. Uh, but in any case, there's been not a lot of systematic research in, uh, on the factors that are responsible for such variations in the effect of networks. As Andrew Paul has uh, also argued, there's not been a lot of um, research into the differential mobilizations of social capital. And uh, among the few to have uh, uh, given a sort of an analytical framework for studying such potential variation in the effects of social capital has been again Alejandro Portes who, who, is arguing, who has argued that uh, the effect of social capital differs uh, along three dimensions, is, is influenced by at least three dimensions. First of all, who are the recipients of social capital? Who are the beneficiaries? And uh, an example could be that those who have a higher level of social, of human capital, so of education or, or financial capital, will be less likely to rely on social capital. Uh, another dimension important when studying the effects of social capital is the tie linking the beneficiary to the source. So, for example, there's been a long debate going back to Granovitter in sociology uh, with respect to whether strong or weak ties are more instrumental in different outcomes. And uh, both sides can be argued on having strong ties makes people more willing to extend the help, but weak ties may give one access to a larger social circle a more with a more diverse sources and less redundant information, which can be more helpful in getting a better job, for example. And third, um, Portes has argued, following others as well, that it's not one sh always forgets when looking at social capital to um, look at the resources that those social ties can command. And uh, Nan Lin also argued that it's Social capital is more than social networks. It's also what resources those networks possess. Uh, so it doesn't help much to have a lot of unemployed friends if you're looking for a job, for example. Um, and here I would add, and some others such as Cecilia Menjivar added with respect to immigrants, that the context of destination influences the resources that, for example, the immigrant community at destination can have. Um, and she. Uh, had the interesting comparative studies between uh, Vietnamese, Salvadorian, and Mexican uh, immigrant communities in the U.S. and showed that where the Mexicans were doing better and were better able, like network mechanisms were more helpful within the immigrant community because Mexicans had been there for a long time and had long established and quite large networks, whereas Salvadorians had 
neither the state support that Vietnamese had, nor a long history of immigration such as Mexicans. So they had much less resources that, uh, that they could put forward to help newcomers. Um, there is one um, dimension um, that is highly important uh, when studying um, um, when studying these uh, aspects of gender is gender relations affect all these three dimensions and can interact in uh, shaping the role of networks. There's been a long line of research that showed that there are important gender differences in the migration process that uh, men and women have different motivations for migrating um, and uh, different experiences of migration, different settlement patterns at destination. However, there's been little research so far integrating both networks and gender issues. And there's some exceptions which are quite interesting, but they are mostly limited to the Mexican or the Thai context, mostly because of data availability. These are more quantitative research that I, I um, refer to, but even qualitative work has not been very um, too much on this, uh, on this aspect. Um, so gender roles can influence both the type of ties used and the ways in which they are mobilized um, in, in different ways. And I will just briefly mention some. Um, in, in societies in which women are viewed as more vulnerable and their migration riskier, they uh, can be argued to face greater barriers in, in their attempts to migrate. And uh, research showed that where migration is considered riskier, uh, networks have a larger influence, for example, as in international compared to internal migration. Um, also, David Limstrong uh, uh, has argued that women's moves because of their migration being framed as riskier, can be more, are more dependent on the presence of close kin, of close, of immediate family members, since these are the only ties that are um, in, uh, uh, in, that are um, able to provide uh, this function of protection and control, which is most important in female mobility, according to him. Um, also, uh, other reasons uh, in which, other ways in which gender can influence the role or can shape the role of networks is that often the labor markets that immigrants enter at destination are gender segregated. And hence, um, they are more likely to benefit more from migrants of the same gender who are able to provide them with the relevant information and contact in getting jobs, for example. On the other hand, in many societies, my, male networks, so migration flows have been mostly masculine, uh, and male networks are much more established abroad, and may thus have a higher level of resources, that, whereas women as, a more, as more recent immigrants may not have acquired enough in order to be able to uh, share with others. And finally, um, there may be different mechanisms at play in male, in the role of, that networks have in male and female mobility. Uh, there's been some studies who argued, so there's um, one quantitative study who argued that for male, for men, it's mostly, um, it's, there's um, the culture of migration or the normative effect of networks are much more important than for women. Whereas for the latter, it's mostly the effective support or, the, or what Phyllis Garib calls the social facilitation that networks can provide that is crucial in increasing their chances to migrate. So um, one can expect that um, female migration is more influenced by networks which are better able to offer them such an effective support and thus by networks that have a higher level of resources. Um, also, we could expect that networks play a larger role in the funding and the organization of women's migration trips. 
Um, but most of uh, the few um, studies that have actually looked at the way gender and uh, networks interact have not really looked, uh, taken into account uh, a, a further layer of heterogeneity. Uh, and that is between within the female migration itself uh, and women migrate uh, under different auspices as Charuti and Macy have argued. For example, you have quite different mobility experiences if you migrate to reunite with your partner or if you migrate independently in search of work. Um, unfortunately, especially like in the in all of the quantitative literature that I'm familiar with, the, the role of the spouse uh, of the woman is not really distinguished from other kin ties or other type of uh, household ties. And in, I, I would argue that not distinguishing this um, confounds different mechanisms of influence. And it's quite um, also um, confounding because spouses have much more important means of assistance, especially legal assistance, to their disposal in bringing someone over. Um, so not distinguishing these two types of mobilities, uh, female mobilities, um, may um, uh, Assumes so such a research assumes that social ties have a similar influence in independent, more independent, and I will come back to this term, and reunification migration. And uh, um, as a, a um, very uh, important research by Hondangnel Sotelo, qualitative work on uh, Mexican migration to the US showed networks are especially important in autonomous female migration and especially female networks. Um, before um, looking at the, the um, as, as I was saying in my introduction, it's very important to contextualize uh, in all this theoretical literature and to refer this to the Senegalese context. And very briefly, uh, just a couple of important aspects. Uh, first, there's been a long history of international migration flows, uh, starting go going back to the First World War, but also, uh, but mostly intensifying after the independence. Uh, and since the 1980s, we've been seeing a diversification in both departure regions and the destination regions, with, uh, with Italy and Spain uh, increasingly attracting uh, uh, um, Senegalese migrants. Also, another um, central aspect of Senegalese culture has become, inter international migration has become a central aspect of uh, uh, Senegalese culture, uh, with the international migrant being the social, the figure of social advancement, a symbol of economic and social success. Um, and, uh, for example, recent uh, project, uh, the Imagine project, has also um, uh, showed that the rates of migration aspirations are higher among the Senegalese than among the other uh, countries uh, surveyed. However, uh, whereas um, men, in order to succeed, are encouraged to migrate, uh, female migration is uh, discouraged uh, still in Senegalese society, according to some qualitative research. And uh, both uh, in its autonomous form and in its more um, reunification in the in women who migrate in order to reunite with their partners. Um, for and I, there's for different reasons uh, the migration of women going alone is stigmatized on grounds of um, they are. Uh, um, 
uh, accused of prostitution, may be stigmatized uh, um, by their social entourage, as uh, Ba, for example, argues. Uh, but uh, also the migration of spouses in order to reunite with their husband is sometimes opposed by the husband's family, uh, with whom the wife generally uh, lives. and. Uh, because of this uh, patrilocality, as I will uh, come back to in a, in a moment, uh, the in-laws are fearing that with the migration of the, of the daughter-in-law, they will lose important labor force. Um, or also the difficult conditions at destinations and the fact that polygamy, which is another feature uh, of, which is quite widespread in Senegal, uh, have have increasingly deterred men from bringing their spouses to Europe, uh, as uh, work by Jacques Bahou has, uh, has shown with respect to migration to France. Mm. And um, so um, in, in many societies, just a brief word on gender relations in Senegal. Um, in many societies, gender is a critical factor when determining life prospects. And in Senegal, this seems to be the case to a larger extent than in many others. Um, Senegalese women are traditionally subordinated to patriarchal authority. And the positions of social and economic responsibility are falling on, on men. Uh, and women's inferior position is said to be reinforced by such norms as patrilocality, as I was saying, uh, women going to reside with their husband's family, uh, also uh, by polygamy. And Senegal has quite a high rate of uh, polygamy. 25% uh, of unions are said to be polygamous in 2010 uh, compared to other countries in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, of course, uh, one should uh, underline, emphasize from the beginning that uh, there is a high ethnic diversity in Senegal, and um, most of this research um, has been focused on Wolof and Pular, who are the more um, the largest, the more numerous uh, ethnic groups. And in other groups, such as the Jola in the south of uh, Senegal, um, gender relations are have been no, uh, argued to be more egalitarian, and that women enjoy a um, considerable more power and autonomy from men. However, in my research, I cannot really distinguish between the different ethnic groups, and this is a great uh, limitation of the, of the work. Um, and these um, gender relations translate into persistent inequalities with respect to access to education and labor market. Um, uh, and uh, uh, in Senegal, compared to other countries in the regions, there are one of the highest gender gaps in terms of labor market participation, according to the demographic health uh, and health surveys. Uh, also, some qualitative uh, work comparing uh, the meaning of, that work has for women in Senegal and in Togo has shown that it's much uh, women in Senegalese women have a much harder time in putting together in combining their role of uh, economic agents and the role of women who are supposed to first and foremost be dedicated to their husband and take care of their domestic duties. Um, so um, in this context, um, there's been some uh, arguments also in, uh, so with respect to African migration flows, I won't go into much detail, that, that there's a, uh, an increase uh, in female migration, and especially in, in the more autonomous form of female migration. So not just women going to join their husbands abroad, but also women migrating independently of their husbands. Um, and um, I would like to, um, 
look at, investigate, examine a little bit this claim, which has not really been substantiated by data and which has been uh, mostly done, which uh, has been mostly shown with respect to other uh, flows, other migration flows, such as migration from Asia or from Latin America. Um, and to do that, uh, I will just a couple of words, uh, brief words on the on the data set that I will use. That um, um, uh, it's the it's a recent project uh, which has been uh, carried out in several uh, countries. Both and one of its features is that it's been carried out both at origin and at destination. And several uh, flows, African migration flows, have been investigated. Uh, I will um, only talk here and use the data set with respect to Senegal um, and uh, there's been data collected both in Senegal and in three European destinations, France, Spain and Italy. Um, and to come back, um, in um, in the origin countries, uh, only the capital regions have been surveyed and the first step of the data collection was uh, uh, the household data collection. Uh, so basically, uh, households uh, were um, interviewed, were sampled according to a three-stage uh, stratified sampling strategy that I will not go into. Uh, around 1,200 households were interviewed, and it, within each household, in information, basic social demographic information was collected on all household members, uh, including all the children of the household head and, their, and his or her spouses, plus all other persons abroad uh, that were keeping regular contact with the household in the last 12 months. Uh, in addition to that, uh, a biographical individual questionnaire uh, was uh, uh, applied uh, to some non-migrants and return migrants out of these households and also to 600 current migrants in Europe, 200 in each of the countries of interviewed, such as France, Italy and Spain. And with this questionnaire, uh, family histories, residential histories, occupational and educational, and migration histories were collected. Plus, uh, interviewees were asked about the migration trajectories of the members of their personal circle, of their personal network. And in total, 1,670 individuals were interviewed. And those interviewed in Europe were not, except in Spain, were not really interviewed through, uh, the, the sample was not representative since there was no sampling frame available. Um, I'll hurry up a little bit. Uh, just um, just to show you how uh, uh, the information was collected on the um, members of. So basically, there was um, interviewees were asked whether any of their whether their father, their mother, any of their siblings, spouses, or children, or any other friends or family had migration experience, and then for each of that member that uh, was um, given by the individual, so let's say someone declared up to 20, that was the maximum, 20 members who had migration experience, then the migration trajectory of each member was then collected in a separate module, in a more calendar format. Um, so you could see, for example, that the father of, uh, the, of Alain was uh, in um, Congo, uh, w w uh, left to the UK in 1960, stayed there for two years and then came back to Congo. This is the questionnaire of somebody from Congo, uh, where, and, and, he were, and he deceased in 1990. And this for each of the members. 
Um, and I will come back to that uh, in the second uh, question that I treat. But first of all, um, just a quick overview um, whether we can observe these two trends. First of all, the feminization of Senegalese migration, and then second, whether there we can see a convergence of migration profiles or, or um, an increase in autonomous um, uh, forms of female migration. Um, and uh, with respect to the first, um, the uh, so this analysis is based on the household data, so which was collected in the regions, in the capital regions of the countries. So here, uh, Dakar, um, and um, one can apply this what is called discrete time event history analysis in order to uh, see the evolution of the of the migra of migration trends. And here, I, I distinguished between. Uh, migrations to Africa and migrations to Western countries such as Europe or North America because they have very different dynamics as you can see. Uh, and to explain, the, the these are survivor curves, Kaplan-Meier survivor curves, and basically they show the probability of um, undertaking uh, the so of surviving the, the event, which means in this case mi migrating, and uh, uh, the curves show the decrease in the probability to not have known this event. So which you, when you have uh, here uh, 90%, so that means as, as the curves go down, more and more people know the event. Starting, you observe them from the age 18 onwards, and for example, by age 33 years old, this green line, which represents men born in the oldest cohort, so here I distinguish also by cohorts. Uh, the older cohorts are in green, the middle ones, those born between 60 and 1980, uh, the blue, and the most recent ones, the red. And here it means that the men who are born in the oldest cohort, uh, by age 33, 10% of them had migrated to Africa. And you can see, with respect to migrations to Africa, uh, the men is the pointed line, that this, this uh, percentage has decreased. So there's been a, a significant and substantial decrease in male migration to Africa between the two generations. So between the oldest generation and the one which is now 50 to, uh, th between 30, uh, 50 um, and 30 years old. Um, however, with respect to female migration, there hasn't been any significant change between these, between these cohorts. So there's been a, a reduction of the gender gap uh, between uh, these two lines, but this is mostly due to uh, between, uh, sorry, the, um, the green line. So when you compare the gender gap, these were the women and these were the men in the oldest generation, there was a big gender gap in their migration rates, but this diminished quite a lot with, in the uh, younger generation. However, this is, wasn't due to an increase in female mobility, but to a decrease in male mobility. A different picture can be observed with respect to migration to Western countries, uh, where uh, you can see the reverse trend, actually. The curves are lower for the, for the younger generation, the blue, which means that there's been an increase in migration to European countries. But this was both for women and for men, which meant that the gender gaps have persisted. So um, the, the, this uh, figure shows a similar way, uh, the same thing. Uh, and with respect to what we can see is that um, there's been a decrease in male migrations to African countries, but no significant change in female mobility, which translated into a decrease in gender gaps. Uh, and with respect to migrations from Europe to, uh, to Europe and North America, there's been an increase in both male and female migration, but the persistence of gender differences. Um, 
I'll go very briefly. Um, um, so if we um, think that there is an increase in autonomous female migration, we should see more women migrating who are single at the time of their migration. Um, so when you look at the percentage of migrants who are in couple, sorry, I haven't, uh, I've left that in French, um, you can look, here I look at the percentage of migrants who are in couple at the time of their migration, and you can see that women are much more likely to be in couple than men, so women going to Africa and Europe, and men going to Africa and, and Europe, and women on an absolute level are more likely to be in couple at the time of their migration, but there's no, between the two periods, so up to 1995 and after 1995, there's no change in that percentage. And um, the same thing uh, if I take another indicator, so for example, if I uh, looking at who was at destination when women and men arrived, uh, based on the data, on the MAFE data, I can see that, and I can compare, uh, I can look at whether the percentage of female of migrations uh, which happened to a destination where the partner was there, so which were partner related, whether that changed uh, over time. And for example, uh, for women, mo a lot of, so more than 50% of migrations, both to Europe, uh, both to Africa and to Europe, happened to a destinations to a destination where they, where they had their partner present. However, the, the percentage after 1995, there was a slight decrease, but that decrease is not significant. So we can't really say that there's been, uh, and in the same time, there hasn't been, been really an increase in the percentage of women migrating alone uh, in, uh, to either France, uh, to either Europe or Africa. Um, Again, uh, uh, a quick uh, outlook, uh, look at the migration reasons for, the, the reasons for migration shows that there hasn't been a change. Um, so the green uh, are the economic reasons and for women, there hasn't been a change, an increase in economic reasons for migration, any substantial increase between the two periods. Um, so just um, briefly, because I see that I'm completely running behind time. Um, I can't, the, based on the MAFE data, uh, we cannot really show, um, observe um, any significant feminization of the flows. Uh, if we consider feminization to be both an increase in absolute levels and a decrease in gender gaps, and we cannot really observe either an increase in autonomous female migration, according to either of our indicators. Um, and it is in, within this context that we really, we should look at the role of networks, at the, at the way gender and networks are interacting. And I will briefly go into uh, this last bit of uh, findings, um, which uh, this time, so uh, basically uh, I'm looking at the likelihood to undertake a first adult migration. And uh, I'm using discrete time event history analysis, which basically follows an individual from 18 years old onwards until either he or she experiences the event. This, uh, the event of interest for my analysis is whether the individual moves to France, Italy, or Spain, or if not, follow, uh, continues to follow the, the individual until uh, the survey date. Um, of course, there are some, I can give you some more details if you want. Um, um, and then um, there are several 
sort of factors that you can uh, look whether they have an influence on this probability to migrate. And my factor of interest here is networks. And given the way the information was collected, as I shown you, networks are vary across time. So the who and how many people the individual has abroad at any time um, uh, changes according to the years. Um, I, and I also, and since I have a, quite a large breadth of the individual's ties, I can look at the composition of those networks each year, at their size, at their location, and other factors that I'm interested in. Um, and first, um, running a simple model controlling for all other factors such as age, uh, period, uh, education level, assets, uh, occupational status, and several other factors that we know affect also the migration likelihood. And just putting in a simple indicator whether the individual at that, uh, at, uh, at that time has, a net, has someone, kin, uh, friends, or family in Europe and whether uh, they have someone in Africa. For example, we can see the following. We can see that networks in Europe, having a network in Europe, increases the chances, here I present odds ratios, of migration to Europe. Again, this is just migration to France, Italy, and Spain for both men and women, but to a mar much larger extent for women. On the other hand, networks in Africa have no effect and even a negative effect on the migration on women to Europe. If then we take out uh, be from this uh, network variable the spouse, so it's any, other, any tie besides the spouse, either in Europe or in Africa, and then we control a part for whether the person has their spouse abroad or in Senegal or whether the person is single, then we see a, quite a big change in the coefficients, especially with, uh, with respect to women. So we see that network in Europe continues to have a significant effect. It's still a positive coefficient and quite strong, but this time the effect is quite similar for both men and women. However, what has a very important effect for women is the effect of having their spouse abroad. So women who have the spouse abroad are much more likely to migrate than single women, and those women who have a spouse, so who are in a partnership, but the, their, their partner is in Senegal, have a much lower chance to migrate. A coefficient of under 1 here, 0 0.3, is a negative effect on probability of migration. Uh, so basically, um, there's two conclusions from this, is that besides the network effect, it's very important to take into account the spouse apart, because he has a very different effect than other ties, and also that social capital is quite location specific and it's only networks in Europe that affect mobility in Europe and not networks in Africa. And then in, in the rest, I'm, I've, I've just summarized uh, quite a long, lengthy analysis from my, from my chapters looking at the effect of different types of ties. Also, um, in, in, my, in, my, in my thesis, I distinguished here, I only compared, in the first analysis, I only compared men and women. But then in the rest of my analysis, I distinguished between two types of female mobility. Women who go to a destination where their partner is not present, so who can be called the more autonomous form of female migration, and then women who move on to a country where their partner is situated. So which would be the case of spousal reunification, which I have shown to be quite important in the Senegalese case. So uh, uh, almost half of all female migrations in the Senegalese case are for reunification. And basically, 
we can what I, I can see the different type of ties. So network uh, having network in general has the strongest effect has an effect on all types of mobility, but the strongest one on women who go uh, autonomously, as expected. And then it's different type of ties that are, are more important. So for autonomous female migration, more than for anyone else, uh, it's really having female networks abroad that are that is instrumental. These female networks have no effect on on male mobility, for example. Um, and also another important type of tie for both. Um, uh, so another interesting finding was that for spousal reunification migration, also uh, networks are affecting their pro their migration chances. So having someone else than your husband abroad increases the chances to reunite with your husband in Europe. Um, and then um, uh, another um, factor, uh, the hi another hypothesis was that networks that have a higher level of resources will be more, more influential in female mobility in general. And I couldn't, and most of the quantitative studies of networks do not have any direct me measure of resources. So I tried to proxy that by the migration experience those network members have in Europe. So for how many years are there in Europe? Making the hypothesis that a migrant which has been living in France, Italy or Spain for a long time has a better job, has, has a better situation and is thus better able to help newcomers. Uh, and indeed this seemed to be the case but only for female migrants. So female migrants benefited especially from the from having established or long-term, long-term is someone who has been in Europe for over 10 years, uh, whereas for males it was mostly the more recent migrants who were helpful in their migration chances. And then another, um, another um, proxy could be uh, whether or not the, their, their migration network is uh, dispersed within, between several countries or whether it is very concentrated within a single country. And for women it was mostly the latter that was important. Having a dispersed network did not really affect, uh, did not really increase their migration chances. Um, I don't think I, I have time to go into these other uh, measures of network help, so I will just conclude. Uh, the second part of my thesis looked at the economic integration at destination, and I just wanted to say that uh, the networks had a much lower influence on migrants' labor market outcomes and much more ambiguous effects, and sometimes uh, leading migrants to lower quality jobs, so a sort of a reproduction of ethnic niches for the Senegalese, it's mostly uh, working in the as street vendors, um, um, but um, yeah. So to con uh, to conclude, um, is that um, uh, even on this first part, looking at the role of networks on the likelihood of migration, we see that it's really a much more uh, complex story, and it's not enough to just ask whether networks facilitate migration, but also to what extent or under which conditions and which types of networks and for whom, and uh, really very different types of ties were influential in male and female mobility. Um, uh, for example, the members of the immediate family, um, other than the partner or children, were particularly influential in female migration, um, which happened independently of a partner. But this also, saying, having said this, this really nuances the implication of the term independent. Um, 
Okay, um, and just a last uh, slide with uh, a last conclusion is that um, so basically uh, for Senegal in the context of uh, very low levels of women autonomy, low levels of female migration, uh, there I've no, I've, I couldn't observe any uh, feminization of migration flows. I couldn't observe much increase in autonomous female mobility, but there were very stark and strong gender differences in the role of networks. And uh, um, next to my thesis, I, I, we did some comparative studies with a colleague who was also a PhD student who was working on Congolese migration flows, and uh, the results were quite different in many respects. And we know that in Congo, uh, the women's autonomy levels are higher, and this also translated into uh, higher levels of female mobility, uh, in more signs of feminization, also a relative increase in independent forms of female migration, and also lower differences, uh, lower gender differences in the role of networks. Uh, so, all this to, to say that it's really um, the, the benefits of a comparative approach and only by comparing different contexts with different gender relations we can really understand how gender shapes uh, the role of networks. Okay, I'll stop here. Sorry for taking so much time.